to the Draft Nut Podcast. It's Jared Feinberg. Alongside me is Devin Jackson, and we are your hosts for today's episode of the Draft Nut Podcast. Devin, good morning. How's your breakfast going? What's up, man? Yeah, I'm eating some oats here while I'm on the podcast, but I'm doing pretty good, man. Uh, I got a busy day ahead, um, you know, with work and uh, making an appearance on ESPN Radio, so I'm super hey. excited about that. Um, but other than that, doing pretty good, man. Just, you know, just going through the process, grinding, trying to, trying to watch some prospects. So mm-hmm. just the usual, man. Yeah. Guys, today we're, we're just going to just talk about whatever, whatever's on our mind. Um, whatever. And of course we didn't have a podcast on, um, on Wednesday. Um, I had homework going on. So anytime there's like, you don't see, an episode of the Draft Nut Podcast um, on an Apple Podcast or on Spotify. Um, more than likely, it's because either it's one of us are having some sort of thing going on, whether it's me doing homework or having to deal with school stuff um, or Devin having to deal with stuff at work. Um, so just to let you all know, that's why um, sometimes we may have to not have a podcast on certain days, even like Sometimes we may not have a podcast for the whole week. So uh, just to let you all know, sorry for some of the times that we have not been able to have a podcast or or an episode. So, all right, I'm trying to think what's on my mind here today. Um, I do want to talk about um, the Cam Newton uh, interview he had with um, the I Am Athlete podcast with Brandon Marshall, Fred Taylor, Chad Johnson. I really enjoyed listening to that podcast. Um, I'm not sure if you've seen it. Have you seen it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I got to see a little bit of it, uh, some clips here and there. But, you know, whenever Cam Newton does a sit-down interview, it's always, uh, you know, something you got to tune into. He did one, what, over the summer, I believe, you know, with Odell. And yeah. um, I, it was uh, Todd Gurley and, and somebody else. Uh, but yeah, he, he's always entertaining whenever he sits down and talks. He's very candid. So mm-hmm. I'm not surprised it's one of those interviews where, you know, he got candid and, and really explained kind of his thought process and, you know, what he's feeling at the time. So he, he's not going to be one of those guys that masks how he feels. He's going to say how he feels and just keep it straight up. Yeah. And one of the thing, one of the things he was talking about was, uh, his time in New England. And, you know, um, they were I think Brandon Marshall was and Chad Johnson or Ocho Cinco. They were they were like, you need some dogs, like guys that you can go to like you had in Carolina with like Greg Olson. Uh, And Marshall uh, pointed out how Nikhil Harry was struggling. And Newton was like, he's he's young. He's young. He's a young player. That's still trying to improve. And some, some guy, some people around draft Twitter have already labeled him as a miss of sorts because he hasn't been as productive. But, you know, he, he, he's, Nikhil Harry has flashed moments of really great, great play throughout the season last year. But he was very inconsistent. And I think that's just part of the, of the development process with him. He wasn't this perfect prospect coming out of Arizona State. He needed to go to a team that would allow him to do stuff 
in the slot when he had the opportunity because he wasn't really that great with his releases. He wasn't that great of a route runner. He was more of a jump ball specialist, 50-50 type of guy. He was, that's the player you were going to get with Nikhil Harry coming out of Arizona State that year. And so when he went to New England, um, he, he didn't get a lot of time, didn't get a lot of reps. And in New England, he, or in his second year in New England with Cam Newton, he started getting more reps, you know, chemistry trying to get going there. Never really came about, but Newton, Newton likes the guy. I, you, you could tell in the interview, he, he's young, but he likes what he's, he likes the potential that Nikhil Harry has. Um, I'm hoping for the best for Nikhil Harry. He is a player that, you know, if you're able to develop him well and integrate him into that offense, continue to develop his football IQ in that offense, I think you're going to have some success with him. Um, and you're, but still, I think Newton still needs some dogs and, um, in New England, if he decides to return, if he does want to return. Well, he has said, hell yes, he would want to return to New England. Um, and he, he explained that the, the reason for his struggles after he got COVID was because he was having to catch up with the playbook, you know, and like getting to understand like truly why Newton really struggled is because he was having he was second guessing himself all the time throughout most of the season because he was catching up from all those days of practice that he missed. Even missing just one game, he's having to still learn all that language. He also barely had an offseason. He didn't even have an offseason to really prepare with New England. He joined in June in the middle of a, right in the middle of a pandemic where you couldn't really do anything. And everything was on Zoom. And, you know, it was tra- training camp was the only time where he was trying to get the playbook down. And I think now, now that he's gone through a whole season in New England, he's more prepared this time. Um, I, I think the terminology is better with it, or like the football terminology in New England is more understandable for him now. Um, and Newton understood that. Like, he he needed to be better. And I think we can all agree to that. But he, he – and sure, he wasn't a great quarterback last year. But he did flash some great moments, especially in those first three games. You know? Like, if Noon never had gotten COVID, I think we would have been talking about a completely different player from this past season and a completely different team than this past season. Newton – if he didn't get COVID at all or whatnot, I think he helps New England at least get a wild card. But that the state of that team was just not good. And people were like, oh, you're taking over for Tom Brady now and blah, blah, blah. And he was like, you know, I, I'm, I'm just here so I can play. I'm here so I can win football games. I th- if, Cam, if Jared Stidham or Brian Hoyer was starting for that football team – Patriots are probably going to have a top five pick. Cam Newton is the only reason why they didn't have a top five pick. Cam Newton, quite honestly, if you agree with it or not, he was the reason why, you know, 
they were in a lot of games, even though he struggled. So it's people need more context when it comes to Cam Newton's situation, and I highly suggest you watch or listen to um, the I Am Athlete podcast with Cam Newton, Brandon Marshall, Ocho Cinco, Fred Taylor. It's a really good conversation. Um, they also talk about um, black history. Um, it was a really very cool conversation. He talks about his um, being an entrepreneur of sorts, um, starting his own business and whatnot, having his own hats. And um, it was funny watching Ocho Cinco trying to um, defy science and like saying, hey, I want to get you on my, my own diet. Going to be eating McDonald's in the morning, all that. I'm like, and Cam was like, man, I'm going to be 280 pounds by the time I roll into OTAs. He was like, nah. Ocho was like, nah, nah. You'll be, you'll lose 20 pounds with my diet. I'm like, hey, hey. and you know, there's there's some fans out there that I've seen on my timeline that are like, oh, he's turned into a vegan. He's not playing well because he's now a vegan. That doesn't. That has nothing to do with his play on the field. That's just uh, any person that would want to go vegan becomes like just a better person mentally, you know, better person overall. I'll be honest with you. I could never go vegan. I'll tell you that right now. I, no way. I, I I totally understand wanting to eat healthy, but man, I love what I eat. I'm going to continue to eat it, you know. I'll still eat healthy, but, you know, I, I love my steaks. I love my burgers. I love my chicken. I love them. I got to have them. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, you know, in terms of uh, just really, you know, you, you think about Cam Newton as a player, man. Uh, you know, there's very few players where, you know, they're completely open with who they are in, in terms of just – you know, being comfortable in themselves, you know, you, it's very rare you see players, especially at the quarterback position, you know, do interviews like that, you know, be vulnerable, you know, talk about, you know, life outside of football and, and really, you know, dig into who they are as people. So I've always appreciated Cam Noon from that standpoint. Um, you know, he's authentic. He's not going to change because of where he is and, you know, who he's coached by, you know, whether it's Bill Belichick, you know, whoever it will be down the road if he doesn't return to the Patriots. And, you know, like you said, you know, he was very much on track to have a really good season uh, before COVID hit. Uh, that Seattle game uh, was show we could play like when, you know, everything is, is working on all cylinders in, in terms of, you know, his confidence level, uh, you know, the offense not being as complex as it was later in the season, uh, a variety of factors factored into that. But I think we see a much different Cam Newton if, if there's a training camp uh, for one, um, and, and he had time to really grow in OTAs and mini camp and and the whole uh, schedule for NFL. That's why it's so important with trading quarterbacks or quarterbacks that are starting for new teams that they come in before May, you know, so they have that time to really build a relationship then. But we know in, in his uh, defense, you know, he was wasn't really being respected like he felt like he should. So 
he bet on, on himself. And while the stats didn't look great, I think it's clear that he was still one, a, a starting quarterback in this league for one, and that he can still be a very good quarterback. So for me, you know, uh, just, I, I guess it's going to come down to where he sees the best spot to, to land. And, you know, looking at spot, potential spots, I would love to see him in Washington. I think he'll be a great fit for what they have. You have a star, uh, a budding star in, in Terry McLaurin. Uh, and him and, him and Cam Newton as a duo, I think would be very scary, uh, for the NFC East. Um, and, you know, the, you got Antonio Gibson. I think his skills can be even uh, expanded more. You know, had a rookie season, had an okay rookie season, could have had a bigger impact. And I think that came down really down to quarterback play, not getting him the ball. But they have some pieces to build there. So I, I, w- I would like to see Washington as a potential destination for him. But other than that, man, there's really not too many places that I could see per se that was like, okay, yeah, he, he could definitely fit here or here, you know, cause you know, a lot of these teams are either tanking or about to tank or they're about to select the quarterback or they already have kind of that bridge starter. So, uh, I, I really feel like there's not going to be a ton of choices for him, uh, this off season, like last off season, but I think you, you get him on a team that, you know, is a, a borderline contender and you add him, it, he definitely makes them better. Isn't, there's no question about it. I, I think if I think a priority for New England would be to try and re-sign Newton. Um, I I think we both agree. And Newton said in in the podcast, you know, he doesn't want to be a backup anywhere. He wants to start. He wants to start. I don't think. And people are like, oh, he's going to be a backup somewhere. He's going to go wherever he can start. New England and Washington seem like the top places right now for him to start. Probably the only places for him to start, to be honest with you. Um, he's, he, he's going to have an interesting decision. It's going to be, it's going to be interesting to see what New England does this offseason. I think it's crucial for New England if they do bring back Newton to surround him with weapons that he can go to consistently that can get open consistently. Um, they'll continue to develop Nikhil Harry. Um, I think Jacoby Myers will end up being a really nice number two or number three receiver. Um, probably more of a slot guy, if anything, probably starting next year. Um, I think, you know, I could see Carolina going, I could see not Carolina. Um, I could see new England going after Curtis Samuel. Um, that's a player that I think would former teammate of Newton's. I think that would be a good connection between the two. Um, and I think it's crucial that the Patriots get that good tight end to go with Newton, a go-to scene beating tight end, like a security blanket. And, you know, I don't think Newton as much as I, I as much as I love him. Um, I don't think he, he's the type of guy that, can't take a team over the top anymore. I think he's a guy that needs talent around him to succeed. And, but honestly, like at the same time, he could always show up next year for either New England and Washington and just go crazy and start winning football games. Um, he's, he's the type of quarterback that keeps you in games, 
but I think it's, it's at the point of his career where he needs good weapons to succeed. I mean, that you could say that for any quarterback, but I think you, for him at this point of his career, and as I think he's desperate to really, he wants to get back to the Super Bowl. And I think New England gives him that opportunity, to be honest. But I, I think Washington, at the point they're at the trajectory that they're at, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they're in that talk too, because they have that deep, they have that front seven of Chase Young, Matt Yadonis, Jonathan Allen, Jerome Payne, Montez Sweat. Um, it's just that that group, that defense. You add on some good players on offense, help out with the offensive line, bring back Ronald Darby on that defense. Man, that 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 is a team that should be the favorite to win the NFC North, uh, not the North, uh, the NFC East next season. Um, but you know, it it will be interesting to see what happens with Camden this this offseason. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if he went to Washington. And at the same time, I would be kind of shocked if uh, New England wasn't able to bring him back. Um, I think they really like New England. Bill likes Cam. Uh, Josh likes Cam. Newton likes being in New England. Um, and they'll be getting a bunch of their players back who opted out as well. So better team next year, more than likely. Better weapons. It's going to be a big offseason for New England. So I, I'm is a quarterback a a possibility for New England at at 15? Definitely, especially if Trey Lance is there. If Newton comes back on another one year deal, they draft Trey Lance at uh, at 15, and Newton struggles again. That's the end of Newton's career, in my opinion. As much as I love him, I'm, I'm just going to be quite frank. Um, and then Trey Lance takes over in year two and takes over for New England, becomes star quarterback there, you know. So, it, like I said, it's going to be interesting to see what happens in New England with Cam. Um, and he was also open about how he handled the Carolina situation, you know. Um, he was told that they – they had a different plan and that the NFL is a business. And he made a really good point about that. And Caroline debt were, they were definitely in the works of moving on from him. And a lot, I think a lot of what they were saying was kind of like a, like a, like a smoke screen of sorts saying, Oh, we're going to keep cam, but really they were going to cut. Newton and I think a lot of Panthers fans were kind of angered by them. They still are that oh we're we're going to be committed to Cam Newton blah blah blah. They end up cutting cutting him at the start of free agency. So you know it, it for Panthers fans it's hard to see that the quarterback you love dear love so dear for so many years having to get cut like that on those type of terms, it's just, it irks a lot of them the wrong way. But for me, understanding more about what happened almost a year ago makes it, I'm more at peace with it because, you know, I, I'm optimistic of the current future with Carolina, you know, that, that kind of makes me excited. Uh, but overall, Cam Newton needs, he needs to be back in New England with better weapons, in my opinion. But at the same time, I wouldn't be surprised if he's back in Washington. Yeah, I mean, it's real. Like I said, it's gonna come down to, you know, 
what Washington is looking to do per se, you know, or do they want to roll with who they have now when Taylor Heineke and, and Alex Smith, or you want to bring in a guy for maybe a year or two that, you know, can, you don't have to necessarily go after a quarterback right now. Obviously it would be nice for them to get a young guy in there to start to develop, but you know, you have a really good defense right now, you know, and all, uh, all indications seem to point to that uh, he's going to um, or Washington's going to probably use their first round pick on potentially a, a defensive player like a, a Jeremiah Wusakoromora or something like that. Uh, maybe a J.C. Horn if he, he moves, gets down that late. So they're going to continue to add to that defense and uh, you're going to need some dynamic quarterback play. I mean, I think that's clear for Washington. You know, they I mean, they could have been in the mix against Stafford and and some of the other top quarterbacks. But at this point, you know, you got to look at how your roster is built. And right now their defense is made to win right now. But the offense still has a ways to go. So either you can try and close that gap in two years or you risk in a couple of years losing some of those top end defensive guys. So I think they're going to have a tough decision to make this offseason. Uh, because you're not going to be able to roll out. I, I And look, Tyler Heineke had a, a great wild card game against Tampa, but you're not going to be able to roll him out for 16 games and expect to be a championship level team. So they they have a lot of decisions to make in terms of what they're going to do, uh, how they feel about this offseason. Uh, same thing with the Patriots. You know, are they going to be a team that goes into a full rebuild? Or are they going to be a team that continues to compete? And, and history shows that they're going to continue to compete. So I, I see a scenario they'll, they'll probably try and push for a Cam Newton resigning uh, at this point. Even if they bring in someone like a Mac Jones or or another quarterback, uh, they're not going to be ready to start right away. And, and with the weapons they have right now, you probably don't want to take a quarterback at this point because uh, I mean you you pretty much are giving him nothing to work with. So. Right. Hopefully they're smart about it. Um, and if they decide to take a quarterback, it's after you get some, some playmakers on offense, some dynamic guys, but we'll see what happens with the situation, but definitely hope the best for Cam Noon and hope he actually gets in a landing spot that will add guys that, you know, can create separation. I think that's the biggest issue. I mean, you can't throw to guys that can't create separation. I mean, it's the name of the game. So there's too many talented guys uh, right now in the uh, draft that, you know, you got to get somebody, whether it's Kyle Pitts or, you know, you might reach on the Kadarius Tony or Terrace Marshall. Somebody has to be off the board for the Patriots that's going to help because uh, right now the way that they have their roster, it's not, it's not going to be a good site for any quarterback. I want to talk about uh... – Washington and their free agency stuff, um, like just who they could target. I don't know if you saw the tweet earlier. I, I tweeted tweet it. And um, whoever runs um, – what website is it called? Um, it is um, Hogshaven, the, um, the SB Nation um, blog for the Washington football team, the guy that runs the account said, 
he doesn't feel like paying $10 million a year for Curtis Samuel. If you're wanting a 4-3 guy that can't run routes just to draft someone on day three. That's, I think that's just, that narrative that he can't run routes is false. Um, Curtis, from what I've seen with Curtis Samuel in Carolina over the last couple of years, he has been arguably their best route runner, without question. Um, you can say McCaffrey's in that mix, but, I mean, he's playing mostly running back. But Curtis Samuel is a great route runner, a great overall just dynamic football player that you can use everywhere, use him in the backfield, slot, boundary. Um, he is a guy that can burn defenses, and he just didn't have a lot of opportunities the last few years. And he was great on third down, great, like a go-to guy on third down. If you need a third down conversion, just throw him the ball, he's going to come down with it. Um, and just that take is just not good. Simple as that. Um, there, I saw, I saw something where that if you, if you're paying Curtis Samuel 10 million a year, it's not that it's kind of cheap if you're consider just considering like overall who's getting paid the highest. So let me look here on uh, spot rack to figure out like what they're, what like the average contract is right now for a starting wide receiver. Um, but while I'm pulling this up, you know, I think Curtis Samuel is one of the more underrated free agents right now in the NFL um, or just that wide receiver in general. Um, he is, and like I said, dynamic, great on third down, great route runner, can burn defenses with his speed, has great vision with running the football. Um, he has come a long way from his time at Ohio State where he actually couldn't – he wasn't a good route runner. So, you know, seeing that this take is going around shows that, and with all due respect, someone's not watching film. You know, it's, it's mind-blowing to see that. Uh, all right, let me see. Um, positions. God, spot rack takes so long to load on my laptop. I'll tell you what. Um, I'll talk a little bit more about Curry Samuel while I pull this, pull these things up. Um. With Curtis Samuel, you're getting a very good number two wide receiver on your team. A guy that should have broken out over the last few years for Carolina, but inconsistent quarterback play has really ridden his opportunity of really breaking out into a very exciting wide receiver that everyone should take notice in the NFL. I think with a new team or back in Carolina, he can be that with a new quarterback in Carolina. When... If he goes to somewhere like, gosh, New England, Washington, Green Bay, just off the top of my head, you know, you get him in those places where they need a number two wide receiver. You put you put Samuel with Aaron Rodgers, and you're going to let Samuel cook 
that's a thousand yards for him, no doubt. That in that in a duo of Devontae Adams and Curtis Samuel, whew, that that's that's that would be fun to watch. Okay, so let me look here. Devin, you may have to pull this up because my laptop is really slow when it comes to trying to pull up this stuff on the spot rack. So you're probably going to have to pull it up, bro. Gotcha. Uh, but, yeah, I'll interject on the, the talk about Curtis Samuel. Um, you know, he's one of those guys, one of those receivers that, you know, when he has the ball in his hands, he is so productive and elusive and, and able to, to create big plays. But the problem is getting the ball in his hands. I mean, it just, you know, for, for Carolina – you know, especially with Joe Brady's new offense, you're trying to get to all these guys. You, you brought in Robbie Anderson and, you know, obviously you got Curtis Samuel. You got uh, Christian McCaffrey as well uh, that needs touches too. So I think it just became a, a matter of, um, you know, can you uh, get him the ball enough in, in the game? You know, and I, I think it, it shows that, you know, for, for him at the very least, um, when, you know, he's doing what he needs to do and, and getting the ball in his hands and, and making play, whenever the ball is thrown to him, he's making plays. I think that's simply put what he, what he brings to the table, you know, has speed, you know, has ability to run in the slot as well as the outside receiver. So, you know, teams got, got to take a look at him and say, you know, 10 million a year. That's not bad, man. It's not. <laughs> you know, it's, it's really not bad. I mean, somebody like Sterling Shepard is making $10 million a year right now. Right. Uh, Robbie Anderson is making $10 million a year. Um, you know, uh, Tyler Boyd is making $10.7 million a year. Emmanuel right. Sanders is making $12 million a year, and he's not even the same caliber of athlete at this point in his career uh, than, you know, uh, Curtis Samuel. So to say – you know, 10 million a year is too much. I mean, what do you want to put in a receiver? I mean, because Terry McLaurin is going to demand at least 15, 16 million a year whenever his time is time comes, you know, because guys like Adam Thielen makes 16 million. Devontae Adams only makes 14.5 million. So, you know, you got guys that, you know, there, there's those having Terry McLaurin and Curtis Samuel on your team it makes you so dangerous. So I don't understand why uh, a, a team like Washington wouldn't want him at ten million a year. That's exactly. a huge discount, can, consider considering who's making ten million a year at this point. You know, it, I mean, I think for, you're you're taking definitely taking Curtis Samuel over Sterling Shepard, without a doubt. You know. Tyler Locke is a little bit more difficult uh, to choose between the two because Locke has been extremely productive. He's outperforming his contract easily, but ten million a year for someone like uh, Curtis Samuel is is a steal in in this you know kind of uh, league where receivers are at, a, are at a premium. You know, you got someone like DeAndre Hopkins making twenty seven million, so. Mm-hmm. I mean, not saying Curtis Samuel's anywhere near that, but I mean, damn. Yeah, man. And when it comes to fans understanding 
everything about money and cap space and whatnot. I think people see 10 million a year and be like, Oh my God, that's so much. That's way too much. They see 20 million a year for a quarterback and they're like, Oh my gosh, that's way too much. That's way too much. We can't pay a quarterback. That's not that good. $20 million or just a mindling quarterback, $20 million a year. Look, that's going to be the average quarter. That's going to be the average contract for a quarterback nowadays, no matter how good or bad you are. You know, it's, it depends on like who, what type of receiver are you and how much are you going mean or want on the market. And when I, when I saw that someone saying they don't want Curtis Sam for 10 million a year, I was like, really? You don't want a good receiver like Curtis Samuel for 10 million a year when there are other guys that are probably not as good as, not as good as, not as good as him or even better than him are making 10 million a year, 12 million a year. And yet like some of the top receivers in the game are making 20 to 20, 20 to 30 million a year. You know, like I think Amari Cooper had a hundred million dollar contract of sorts and he's getting paid, I think like 20 million a year of some sorts. So you're, Getting Curtis Samuel for $10 million a year to be your number two wide receiver would be really, really good for Washington. And then I think the guy also said, um, or whoever runs the account, he was like, oh, I, I wouldn't really want Cam Newton either because, of course, you see his, you see his box score and you're like, oh, I don't want that. I don't want that bad player. He's Cam Newton's not a bad player. He's a good football player that struggled in year one in, in New England because of the lack of time in the offseason and falling behind um, with the terminology because of COVID. So, um, I, it's, and look, people have their opinions of one, and, and I get that. But when it comes to saying stuff like that, it needs more context. It needs more more facts with it. You need to understand like the backstory to a lot of this stuff. So that that kind of just got me turned me the wrong way. The other thing I want to talk about is Mel Kuyper's mock draft. Have you seen Have you seen the first ten picks of that mock draft? Uh, yes, I have. Boy, if I mean, the it's, a, it's skipped out on Trey Lance, trapped in Mac Jones at eight. I would pass away. I have said this a couple times in the Blue Chips guy in the group chat. I would not be happy. I would not be happy. You're going. You would go from a physically limited quarterback in Teddy Bridgewater to another physically limited quarterback in Mac Jones, who's probably about a similar player. To be honest with you, when when uh, we were talking to Joe Marino, or actually, I, I think you had to leave early last week. So I think when Joe and I, when Joe and I were talking about what the Panthers really need at quarterback, he and I both agreed they really need a playmaker at quarterback. They need someone that can create out of the pocket, which is the name of today's game at the quarterback position. Create out of the pocket, make throws on the move. Being able to have that athleticism and mobility to really have early success in the NFL and really become a really good quarterback in the NFL. 
guys like Zach Wilson, Justin Fields, and Trey Lance fit that mold. Deshaun Watson also fits that mold. But I'm hesitant that Caroline can get a deal done. That That's why I'm like, I, I I want Watson, but would Caroline really be willing to give up as much as people are saying they could end up giving up? I don't know if they will in a rebuild. I mean, they're still in the middle of a rebuild. People forget. And I get that, oh, this team may be better next year. Just get a young franchise. Get a young Quarterback like Justin Fields, Zach Wilson, Trey Lance, draft them at eight or trade up for them at three or number five at Cincinnati. You know, find a way to get your quarterback. I just don't want another limited quarterback who has to operate in the pocket like Bridgewater did and doesn't have the arm talent you want that can make all the throws down the field on the first, second, and third levels of the field. It, it, it's it's like you want it, it's the hype of Jones that really just baffles me. I think the only reason he is hyped up is because he put up a put up good numbers in, at Alabama and great success in that offense, of course. In a regular season, in a regular normal non-COVID season. He probably would have gotten he would have gotten close to what Joe Burrow had in terms of production as a passer. When it comes and also he's a white quarterback that is more of a pocket passer, and people are like, "Oh, you can still work for that in the NFL." And nowadays, a lot of successful, a lot of the young successful quarterbacks in this league have come are guys like Mahomes, Watson, Lamar Jackson, Josh Allen, um, trying to think others, um, Kyler Murray. Like those those guys have had immediate success in the NFL because they can create out of the pocket, because they are playmakers at the position. Mac Jones isn't that. He's not. He is not that at all. Mac Jones is not going to be someone that you can win because of he is someone that you went in spite of and joe and i were trying we're drilling this um last week on the pot and it's it's just baffling me like people are trying to convince me mac jones could be the pick at eight i'm like he more than likely he's going to get picks in the 15 to second round range you know it's I get quarterbacks are overvalued sometimes in this draft, but when we're talking about Mac Jones, honestly, man, when I when I saw his tape, I liked his tape. I'm not going to lie. I liked his tape. But it's the limitations for me. It's the arm talent. It's the ability to create out of the pocket, create within the pocket. He can do a solid job with that, but creating out of the pocket, he doesn't have that. He just doesn't, and that's probably going what brings my grade down for him. And more than likely, he ends up with maybe a late second, early third round grade for me, honestly, because – and look, we're not trying to hate Mac Jones here. We think he's a very solid prospect, a very reliable prospect, a really rock-solid prospect. 
we just think he doesn't deserve to be a top 10 pick because of the physical limitations he has. And the hype needs to stop on Jones going the top 10. If you're, if you think Mac Jones is someone that can take you over the top and you can win games because of him, I think Jones in, in some ways or not, or not, he, he, he was a product, he was a product of Alabama's offense, of Steve Sarkeesian's offense. That's just me. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I already knew once I saw that you, you were going to go off about the, the Mac Jones thing, but that, I don't even think that's the, the, the worst thing that happened in this mock. Uh, number one, the Jets pick Kyle Pitts at four. I don't see that at all. Oh, um, that's just bad. If they're trusting my, Sam Darnold for another year, I can. Well, I don't, I don't have a, but it doesn't make sense. That part doesn't make sense, but also you need to upgrade an offensive line. Right. Like Kyle Pitts is great, but you can get Brevin Jordan later. You can get other tight ends later that can, yeah, uh, you can, you can get those guys later. Like you don't have to get Kyle Pitts right there. I, I understand they're trying to do BPA, best player available, but I don't think he's the best player available at that point. And with so many holes on, you know, whether it's at quarterback or offensive line, you would think, you know, I don't necessarily agree with drafting Panesul, but if you got him there at four and you don't want any of the other quarterbacks uh, like Justin Fields or Trey Lance, take Sewell. Yeah. You know, take a, a good offensive lineman, take someone that you can build around uh, as opposed to Kyle Pitts, who, I mean, you got Sam Darnold throwing him the ball, but is that is it going to be that much better? You know, is the offense going to be that much better? Yes. Uh, it'll be better, but but it's not. That's not an ideal fit, in my opinion. So I have a problem with that. Um, Jamar Chase to the Eagles just doesn't really make sense to me. Um, it's a jump ball guy for for the Eagles that I think they already have, and they need yeah. someone that can separate. Like. That that one one really did make sense to me. Uh, 49ers got absolute steal at seven. I just don't think Justin Fields is just going to land in at seven and, and just fall in her lap like that. And, uh, you know, obviously the Patriots did a smart thing by trading up and getting Trey Lance. But at nine, I would think, you know, in, in the top six, seven at least that they trade into to get him. But it's I I just don't really see it happening that way you know Zach Wilson to the Falcons is an okay fit but there's just a lot wrong with this mock man after pick one everything else just though the only good picks really in this mock are one five and nine right you know because I, I just really don't I mean 10 too because you know he's been he's been linked to the the Cowboys for a while now Patrick Sertain but it, it's it's bad, man. You know, I I seen it's it's that time of the year where we're we're gonna have outrageous mocks, uh, and you know I really don't have a problem with it, but the fact that it's Mel Kiper and the Jets getting a tight end, that's like really like fourth fifth need on the roster right now. Right. I just I don't get it, man. Uh, I think it's long overdue that. ESPN needs to move on from Mel Kiper and Tom McShay. Like, I respect them. Like, they are the 
true like Mel Kuyper was the re- is one of the main reasons why the NFL draft became such a hot commodity. But it's 2021. He's not one of the top dudes, probably considered one of the top dudes. The draft community has expanded exponentially since he was a top dog in the community. I don't think he's even a top dog in the whole draft community, period. I think you're, I think guys, and look, again, I respect both of them, but they're just, just not for ESPN right now. I think ESPN needs to go a different, different direction, needs more, better analysis, you know? Like, give casual fans better analysis on what's going on, better mock drafts. Hire someone like Daniel Jeremiah, who, I respect the hell out of, and he's, he gives great analysis on prospects. He gets it. He is such a great draft analyst, knows the game of football very well. He would be a great fit at ESPN. I think he will probably end up being at ESPN in the near future. But you have guys like a lot of the draft analysts at the draft network. You have Ryan Roberts, who we both respect a bunch. There are draft analysts from Pro Football Network. There are us. There's there's so many more options out there. You know, there's there. Are, I think there are better people that can probably do the job better than Tom McShay and Mel Kiper. With all due respect. Well, I, I think it's, it's just, that, and we've changed the way we consumed it. Like we're not relying on them anymore. Like we're doing our own research exactly. and our own digging, and we're looking at the you know. We're looking at the history. We're looking at who teams have selected in the past, the type of guys they go after. And I feel like that part of their evaluation is starting to miss. Like they're not keeping up with draft trends and they're not keeping up with, you know, the kind of the change in analytics and and all that. You know, they they still have kind of that old school mindset. And the thing was, like, Everyone is going to miss on quarterbacks, but it feels like more and more that they're missing on guys like really between the two. The last person that they actually one of them hit on was Josh Allen. That was really the last person like Kuyper is still holding out hope for Daniel Jones and saying he's better than some of the quarterbacks in in this class and in, in last class. So. I mean, he's he's not he's not really there anymore in, in terms of uh, top end talent. There, there's been guys in his mocks that are not first round talents. I mean, I remember Nico Collins was dropped in a first round mock uh, a while back. So I think it's like there is so hard now. Like you literally have to be watching prospects almost every other day to keep up with with some of these other people. And I just don't think. They have the time to do that, you know, with ESPN appearances and podcasts and all the things that they're doing to expand. You know, it's so difficult to to stay on top of everything. So, you know, I, I commend the work they do. I think it's great. But I think also there's been a shift in how coverage is being had. And you really got to be versatile in terms of, you know, not being biased on players and actually you got to dig deeper than the exactly. top guys because we we know we know at least 200 250 players in this class you know while they may 
be familiar with the top 100 names. So I think it's getting a lot more in depth and, and they just don't have the time to keep up. Yeah. And I feel like it's doing a disservice to casual fans that like they hear about the NFL draft. They want to know what's going on and they're, and they really rely on Mel Kuyper. That's just doing a disservice to them. Like, I think it's important that casual fans get the, or fans in general get the best information, the best mocks, the best scouting, the best analysis possible. Nothing, not stuff that you just do to get attention. Like legit good analysis. I think that's, that's missing at ESPN right now. Good legit analysis. They just got Matt Miller, who's not that bad, but he's, he, he has his moments. I mean, we, we've seen that, like, there are quite a few prospects on some of his rankings that didn't even declare for the draft. Like, it's, like, you, you ESPN needs, and still, with all due respect to Mel and Todd and Matt, it's just, they need people that are really well connected with Today, what what the draft community is today, what everyone is interested in today, scouting analysis, good like under like reliable mock drafts, um, good draft talk overall. It's just it feels like they're trending in the wrong direction with them keeping Mel Kiper and Tom McShay. So that that's just me. Um, I'm trying to think what else we could talk about here today. Um, let's see what, what's something you want to talk about, Devin? What, what's something you've had on your mind? Um, I don't know, man. It's, it's, it's just been a really interesting week in, in terms of, uh, the, the base that have been going on and whatnot, you know, kind of with the quarterback class and whatnot. Uh, I guess for me, it's just like, you know, I I don't know, man. You know, I feel like sometimes, like, we get so wrapped up in our takes and get wrapped in what we feel or believe that we're going to stop at nothing to, to try and convince other people the same thing. And I feel like the, the biggest disconnect right now with Draft Twitter is that everyone wants to be right about a prospect and be right about their order or, or whatever when – it's a subjective process. I mean, you know, it, it's it's very fluid, very well could change within the next few months. And, you know, for me, it's like I try my best to just have conversations about what people are seeing or, or what they're saying about prospects, you know, because at the end of the day, you know, no evaluation is going to be perfect. You know, there's going to be holes in every evaluation. Uh, there's going to be holes in context and whatnot. So for me, I think it really comes down to, I think the two position groups that have caused the most stir in, in draft where has been quarterback and receivers. And, you know, for the quarterback position, I don't care who you got as QB one, you know, you can have Trevor Lawrence, you can have Zach Wilson, Justin Fields, Trey Lance, whoever. Uh, to me, I don't really care about your rankings per se, but I just want to know kind of the thought process behind it. So, you know, I, I feel like when people explain 
what they see and, and why they value him at, at certain players at certain positions or, or certain uh, rankings. I think that's where we can actually have a conversation. I think people mistake conversation with, I'm just going to say my opinion and just keep going back and forth with my opinion instead of finding some compromise, be like, well, you know, I don't know, man. It, it's It's been a very up and down process in terms of, of people really interacting. And like, I, I don't, just don't care really about the rankings, man. I think that, like I said, that's a very subjective process that people yes. have different, you know, traits that they value, they have different things they value in, in quarterbacks and different values, they, things they value in receivers. And I just feel like right now the lines are blurred because everyone is trying to say that their trace that they look for is right. Or, you know, you got fans of teams saying, I don't want that guy, you know, or that he's not a good player when, you know, when you just got to take a step back sometimes, like you can have strong opinions on a player and still be respectful and, um, you know, fair in what you have to say, you know, you don't have to, try and blast people. You don't have to try and, you know, make uh, a mockery out of someone's take. Like there are many other ways you can, can have the discussion. You can DM them and say, you know, here's what I saw. Like for me personally, the biggest growth I've seen is DMing some of these bigger name guys like, uh, Ben Fennell. Uh, he, I, I hit him up, uh, every now and then about players that I may, be on the fence about, you know, we'll have a conversation about that. And I feel like there's not enough of that going on right now. So I just want to encourage people like don't accept, you know, the top, just the top guys analysis. You know, if you really want to know, if you feel like you have a different opinion, open up a conversation, open up a dialogue. You don't have to be like, you know, don't be this guy or, you know, say, um, you know, this, this is a bad take or whatever. Like people are going to have their strong convictions. And I, I just get tired of people saying, have you seen the tape? Like we all, we're all watching film. You know, this isn't one of those things. Like it's very obvious when someone hasn't watched film, but you know, saying, telling somebody to go back and watch the film is, I feel like counterproductive to what you're trying to do. So, you know, I just encourage people like, I, I tell I tell people all the time when I interact with them, if you got any thing you want to say about prospects or something I say that you may not agree with, hit me up and let me know. You know, like I'm I'm very willing to to talk to people about that and, and about the difference in opinions, because, I mean, ultimately, that's how you learn. You know, there's people in this industry with various amounts of, um, you know, experience. They got former NFL scouts that write for a lot of these uh, websites and, and organizations. Uh, you got people that have been part of team personnel, but you also have people that have sources that they constantly talk to. So I feel like there's just too much. I feel like negative negativity in terms of if your take doesn't align with somebody else, then it's a problem when it's really not when this, this whole process is just about, you know, the, the most important thing about this process, in my opinion, should be about the players where we're, this is for the players. You know what I'm saying? This isn't for, 
to to get clout. This isn't for to to become you know a big name. Like obviously that those are goals people have, but at the end of the day, I feel like if you got the mindset that okay, I'm I'm doing this because I love this for one, then two. This is all about the players. Like I stop making it about yourself. I feel like that's that's where we're gonna get more progress in terms of people not saying you know not trying to be the first to to have those bold takes or whatnot and instead just trusting the process. I'm guilty of quite a bit of this, honestly. And I I think that's just part of my growth as a man in terms of just being mature about it and whatnot. And I'm so growing with this, but I'm getting better with it. But I I agree with you. There's just been too, too much negativity, too much like, bashing, bickering at each other. Um, and it's just like, can we have, can we please have a good productive conversation about prospects and not bash, bash each other? Um, we can disagree. We can quote tweet someone and say, I disagree with this and say why you disagree with it. Um, and Joe and Joe Marino and I were talking about this last week. I think fans getting so caught up in like, oh, they just want this one thing to happen and nothing else. You need to be more open about other possibilities. And that's what I've been doing. I've been open to many different possibilities. And I may not like those possibilities, but I need to be prepared for that to happen. So then and I need to understand why it could happen and why it would happen. And so sometimes fans are like, nope, this has to happen, and that's final. No, you have to be prepared for any sort of scenario. And I was, I, I said that, I tweeted someone like that, and they were like, oh, so you just want our team to be mediocre for all of eternity. No, that's not what I want. I just want you to be prepared to for whatever happens. I think more fans need to be prepared for whatever happens in the draft. The thing that you would want to happen in the draft, more than likely it's not going to happen unless you're picking number one and you have a chance to get the top quarterback or the top player in this draft. Um, there's no guarantee, you know? So it's it's something that I think all of us need to work on. There are draft analysts, and I'm not going to name them, that really have sparked – negativity have been kind of bashing and bickering at others for different takes and whatnot. Um, and like, I've tried to message some of those people and, and be like, Hey, um, can we at least try to be more respectful, trying to be at least more, have actual legitimate conversations about this and not just say, Oh, this player sucks and your opinion doesn't matter. Blah, blah, blah. I, I just wish that we were more respectful. And I think this is just the, we're kind of in a dead period of sorts in, for the draft process. We're going to have Bro Day starting next month, which is good because we'll have takes flying around then, but we'll also get to know like athletic profiles for all these players. It's essentially a month long NFL combine is basically what the NFL is saying. It's a month long NFL combine for a lot of these players. Um, and I think a lot of these pro days are actually going to be televised on the NFL network. So we're going to be able to see some of these 40 yard times and whatnot. So it'll be the takes 
we'll hopefully get better. We'll hope the narratives will start to go down a little bit, but we got two more months of this at least. It's going to be, it's a long road. And look, we deal with this every year, but I feel like this year it's just more, we have more now, more analysts on draft Twitter that are bickering at each other more than ever. I think it's just a really weird draft because there's so many good players, so much depth everywhere. It's just like, it, it's, it's a real pain in the butt to be honest with you. And sometimes it just drives me nuts and I have to get off Twitter for a little bit just to ignore it. Um, and look, in the Blue Chips gang group chat, like we, we talk, we disagree with prospects. We also disagree with others' opinions on prospects, but we talk about it and whatnot and discuss why we disagree with it. We're not going to truly bash someone for it. I mean, unless they really are putting out a narrative out there that are like, yeah, that's just false narrative that really like you can tell they just didn't watch the film or were more just hearing stuff from what others were saying, you know, but um, yeah, we need to do better as a draft community, as draft Twitter to having better conversations with each, with, with each other. Even, even if we're agreeing on prospects, we need to be better at having interactions because sometimes the way we tweet sometimes could be misinterpreted as something it isn't. And it's just like, that's just the nature of Twitter. It, it's a pain in the, it's a pain in the ass, but it is what it is. It's, it's going to be like this for the rest of time. As long as Twitter is in existence, guys, I think that is going to be it for us here on the draft nut podcast. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you guys next week.